This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 183 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And on today's show, we have a very special guest, Jason Cohen, who is a very excellent entrepreneur and gave a fantastic talk at uh, MicroConf recently. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Very excellent. That's quite an introduction. I like that. <laughs> well, he gave such a great talk. Uh, honestly, it was a great talk about honesty. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, we got a chance to hang out with you at a MicroConf, which is really cool. Um, I One of the reasons I wanted to go this year in particular is because we Justin and I would have a chance to meet you and Peldy and Amy Hoy. And yeah. Was there one else there who we've interviewed who we've never met in person? I think it was those three. Yeah, so that was very cool. So yeah, I don't think you knew who I was when I walked up to you, right? Jason? Well, it's a podcast, so that means everything's audio and no video. Right. right. <laughs> so you were sitting there talking with um, um, Blink and I's Patrick Foley from uh, the Startup Success Podcast. Right. And you guys were kind of deep in conversation. And I was like, hey, what's going on? You guys are like, uh, who are you? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Talk to the hand. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Right. So, um, well, I guess before we get into anything, I guess we should tell people um, that we interviewed you before. You were our second guest back in like episode, what was it, like four or five? Well, if Pelty was four, let's have a look. Yeah, it was way back in the prehistoric ages. And you you had started making a name. Episode 12. Yeah, okay, episode 12. And, and you started making a name for yourself in blogging in particular because you had sort of before you were a presence on the web made name made your i guess your uh your first foray in entrepreneurship or your first successful foray uh with smart a smart bear software well it even built and sold a company before then so not the first but certainly the most um visible at smart bear it was a multi-million dollar company it was bootstrapped i did start blogging about it toward the end um the people seemed to like and um in particular at Smart Bear, I wrote a book and uh, went around the country doing talks about the subject, which is peer code review, meaning developers who review each other's work. And so, um, in that sense, I got a lot of exposure. Right, right. So that so that's that's how we that's how you kind of came on our radar. I think you were you were on like Hacker News, like it was like every three or four days you had like a big blog post that would hit hit uh, the top of the front page and and get a lot of attention. And and that was actually a plan of yours, right? I think I remember reading something you had written about how you. You had the strategy of building up a big, uh, a popular blog by doing a regular posting series or something, right? Well, I mean, it's, I don't know that anyone plans on being on Hacker News. I think we all hope to be on the top of Hacker News uh, is probably a better way to put it. But actually, when I first started blogging, I did want to become popular at that. And um, so I, I did things like I would read pro blogger and copy blogger and those kinds of things, which especially at the time were sort of the go-to resources of how to make a blog uh, and get thousands of followers. And I tried following all that stuff and I really didn't do very well at it. In other words, I was at it for a year and had about 400 subscribers, which wasn't that interesting. And I had in my mind that I wanted to get a thousand subscribers. I don't know why 
um, it's, it's obviously purely ego, right? Um, I mean, the, the fact is that I got better at communicating and um, figuring out what I thought about things and then encoding that. And so actually it was pretty valuable for me and, and fulfilling and, and so forth. But of course, the reason a lot of people blog is, yeah, that and also I want followers, right? right. Also I want, <laughs> I want the, all that ego stuff. Hey, Jasons, yeah. maybe we should uh, back up a little bit. No, no, no I say Jasons because you're both Jason. Uh, maybe we should back up a little bit. And uh, Jason Cohen, if you could just talk a, a little bit about what are you up to right now? What's your what's your thing? Man, I don't know what it is. You always cut me off before I have a chance to follow up on a question. <laughs> so, so, let me just finish. Okay, I totally agree. But let me let me just finish asking him about the blogging thing because okay? that, that's an interesting well, topic. So, so what happened was I I was growing too slowly for me, and not that there was any there's even you know, a, a right amount of um, growth, but. I said, ah, screw it. I'm just going to do this for me now and not worry about followers. And of course, as soon as I did that, I probably started writing better um, as opposed to trying to fulfill some set of rules that I had read about. And um, then things started taking off. And now there's 30,000 subscribers to this blog called asmartbear.com, which is um, about startups and marketing and the same kinds of stuff you guys like to talk about. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty good example of just saying, well, there may be rules and guidelines and I'll, I'll read them so that I can synthesize whether I like any of them, whether any of them match my style anyway. But the fact is, uh, you know, this all got started because you said I'm on Hacker News all the time, which is true. But every time I try to post on things like Hacker News or get onto Reddit or at the time dig and that sort of thing, every time I tried to do it, I, I never took off in any of those places. And when I finally decided, screw it, I'm not going to try to do that, um, and other people posted them, then those are the only times that it took off. And now it takes off all the time, but that is again, cause um, there's already momentum and a lot of readers and so forth. And so it's, it, now it's kind of unfair. Um, so it's sort of like when patio level uh, 11 publishes something and it automatically it sort of quote unquote automatically goes up. It's, it's sort of the same thing at this point. Yeah. But so the you, bottom you, line you... is I had to just let it go and say, well, I'm doing this for me. I'm going to do the best I can for me and hopefully enough people, other people like it. And if they do, they'll spread it. And that's how that stuff works. It's not something you force. Right. Well, why do you think that is? I mean, why, why is it that when you tried, you, it wouldn't work? Well, I mean, if you think about it, the act of one person posting something on Hacker News, on the one hand, so surely that's not going to work, right? Like just one person posting something in general is not going to cause anything. And you say, well, but someone has to post it for the first time. And it's true that on any popular post, someone posted it. At first, that, that is true by definition. But of course, for every one of those, there's a hundred or a thousand that were also posted that didn't make it. And so, in other words, the act of posting it up to a thing is actually completely unimportant. And when someone else posted it, that's because they saw something in it that they liked. And um, hopefully that's because there's something genuine inside that post that is like a bull and something you'd want other people to read. And of course, that is the thing, in fact, that makes it go viral. And again, it's not automatic that you write a good post and it'll go viral, but it's required, right? It's necessary, but not sufficient. And um, then over time, as there are more people who, who look at the content on a regular basis, it's more likely that a few of them will post it up or start re retweeting it and so forth, and then it can go viral. And, and certainly the bigger the, the base of, of uh, viewers you have, the more often or the more likely or the bigger... Um, that can get just because of those numbers but yeah i've seen it i've seen a thing with hacker news where if it gets posted and it can go very far off the new page but then when some some other people discover it and they try and post it it just basically adds on 
points to the original poster's post. It doesn't repost it. Right. And so that that's the kind of way that it can get some momentum maybe even four hours after the original person posted it. So I can imagine that's the kind of thing that's going on there. Yeah, and, and retweets are similar. Well, what did you do... You- you know, and I, Justin, I know you want to uh, get back and establish some context about WP Engine and all that. So, uh, which is <laughs> well, the right, which is the right thing to do. But I just, we're straight into it right now. But that's 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 okay because we know, we know Jason and, and the listeners know Jason too. So yeah, fine. yeah, okay. So it's our typical disorganized interview. But I, I just want to finish this before we forget to come back to it. So, you said you were pro, you were um, posting for a year and you only had four hundred readers. I mean, was there something that you were doing fundamentally? wrong or you weren't doing well or were you just not posting enough were you posting infrequently i mean what what why did it why did it take that so long to, get to the first 400 do you think well first of all i don't know second of all it, it it simply stands to reason that if there's not a lot of readers there's not a lot of people to spread it to other people and so that so that initial thing should take a long time <clears throat> i mean you know it, everyone likes to think of things like exponential growth quote unquote the thing about exponential growth is at the beginning of the exponential curve, it's pretty flat, right? It doesn't turn up until sort of a critical point. And so you can have so-called exponential growth or vir- a viral coefficient and so forth. And if the base is small, that means it's not growing very fast, right? Right. right. And so, um, so it could very well have been, you know, equally viral or equally exponential in nature and be very slow growing. That's, that's to be expected. Um, so, so it's actually a consistent theory to say that it was it was just as spreadable the entire time, and there just wasn't a lot of base to start with. But right. you know, and also, what's true is clearly I got better at writing, um, uh, got into more interesting content, had some more. It's is a weird phrase, but more unique ideas, right? Like no ideas in a vacuum and all that. But certainly, initially, you'd sort of read it, and you could easily find anybody else saying something like it. And as time went by, you know, I had more sort of original thoughts and at least different ways of describing something or new experiences to relate or just got better at writing, maybe more funny, maybe more interesting, maybe tighter language and so forth. Um, I started doing things like using um, comics to, um, or um, cartoons, I should say, to, um, to um, sort of punctuate the posts. And that was fun. So, uh, you know, who knows what all combination of that uh, went into it. I certainly don't. How much of it was luck? Uh, a lot of it. I mean, that's another thing is anything like going viral or getting popular um, obviously has a nice dose of luck and it's hard even to tease out how much of it is luck. So you just have to say some of it is. And and so the only way to combat that, of course, is to just be out there doing stuff so that in the off chance that sometimes there's good luck, you're there to receive it. Right, right. Um, all right, Justin, go ahead, you know, Ask, let's just change context and get, get this thing started the right way, I guess. <laughs> well, I was just hoping just before we got too into the detail to just go back and just talk uh, and ask Jason what he's up to right now, what, what his thing is at the moment. Sure. So um, about two years ago, I started a company called WP Engine. That's the URL also. And we're a managed WordPress hosting company. So that means we make your WordPress blog fast and scale under traffic, like when you get on Hacker News and secure. And then also we have more tech support people per thousand customers than anyone else. And so that uh, is a, a reason why uh, we can give really good uh, quality tech support on top of all those things. So for deploying a WordPress site, it's really nice. And then for developers, people making WordPress sites, we have yet more tools that come with it. Like for example, there's a staging area 
where you can test out stuff on your WordPress blog um, while it's not live, but it is running on our server. So you're really testing it properly in, in the real environment it would be in. Right. And uh, something recently we just, uh, we were just an alpha with, but if you uh, want to see it, it's pretty cool. Um, we're just like Heroku. We're doing Git push to, uh, to deploy sites. So you can use Git and be completely version controlled, uh, work with other people and so forth. And just pushing it to a certain remote, just like Heroku, will um, will deploy those files, and we're working on getting that on staging as well. So, uh, so also, you know, we we kind of have a steady drumbeat of tools for developers of WordPress blogs to support that. So, I guess I, I think it'd be fun to sort of get the whole story of WordPress, and I, maybe we should start at the beginning. So, you, you know, you had sold a Smart Bear. Is it a Smart Bear or Smart Bear software? Yeah, the, the company was Smart Bear, and then the blog I put in the letter A in front, literally just because I was randomly making a blog, and which I thought was going to be a corporate blog, which is why I kept the same name. Unfortunately, even after I sold the company and then later left, they, uh, they didn't have a problem with me keeping that sort of personal brand, which is wise of them because obviously it, it, it feeds uh, smartbear.com. And at least in, in 2009 or so, it was still like one of the, the top referrers of, tra- of quality traffic to uh to the company. So yeah, I think it was you know, wise all around to just let that continue. Yeah. Oh, that was cool. So, you know, you're, you, you, you'd made, um, made a fair amount of money. Uh, you were just having fun blogging on your own. I guess you didn't really have to work. What, what made you decide to, to do a, uh, another company? Um, I think you do, you do your next company for the same reason you did the last one, which is that it's, you have a, a chromosomal deficiency that requires you to make startups. <laughs> and, yeah. um, uh, and so I think it's on chromosome 14. <laughs> yeah, Justin and I always had this discussion because I, 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 Justin had this feeling like if he made, it had a successful startup and an exit, he would just retire to a beach somewhere. And my thought was like, I'd be bored in about two weeks. I think I could maybe do a week or two of retirement and then that would be it. Was when you're, well, you know, look, if you yeah. wanted to do that, you can, you can get a job, you sock away a lot of money, you pick a beach that's relatively inexpensive, maybe in South America, Central America, and you can just do that. And you don't need to go through the pain of a startup. In fact, um, by sort of working sort of a quote unquote normal job, maybe, maybe you also live in one part of the country and, and take a, a, a California sized salary from there and so on. Um, if that's the goal, which is perfectly rational and it makes complete sense to me, then do that and don't do it by doing something as horrible and, and gut wrenching and difficult and, and, and life in, inverting as a startup. <laughs> that's not the best path to get there. And so to me, um, since that's true and most people who start startups are reasonably rational and so forth, um, maybe even introspective sometimes, um, you know, if you really wanted to do that, then you would do that and you don't, you want to do a startup. So clearly the beach is not the goal. Something else is the goal, like the act of doing a startup. So, you know, mo- I find that most you know people who do a startup are serial, unless of course they are they they want to run their startup forever kind of a deal, which I also understand. And, you know, but it's still the same kind of thing. Well, when you when you, after you sold uh, Smart Bear, and I, ma- I imagine you probably had some period of time where you were still working, and that contract yeah. ended. How long? I mean, did you have in your mind that you were going to probably take a little bit of time off and then go start your next thing, or no. at the time did you think? Oh, I'm kind of done. I'm just going to hang out and just live a life of luxury. What, what was your thinking at the time, and how did it evolve? Well, my wife was pregnant when I left Smart Bear, and so the idea was I wanted to sp- uh, just spend time at home and and be with my new baby, which I did, and uh, it's, it was fantastic. And even though um, 
even though the baby had colic for three months, which was pretty, <laughs> pretty horrible. Uh, even so I wouldn't give that time back for anything. It was fantastic. And, um, so I didn't have a plan. I, you know, a lot of things I found for me, um, and the blog story is exactly this again, not planning has actually done, <laughs> done very well for me and just sort of following whatever I kind of feel like, whatever I'm sort of interested in. I think that things that you're, that you're naturally drawn to and that you sort of end up doing when you have a choice are the things that you're going to naturally be passionate about. Therefore pour a lot of your energy and time probably be good at too, not necessarily, but maybe, and those are the things that you're sort of more successful at anyway. And, and, uh, I see this only in retrospect, by the way, it's not like I, I knew this coming out of college cause I was so smart, no way, but just in retrospect, looking back, the things that I just gravitated towards, um, have been the most successful, just like in the po- in the blog, when I finally decided, screw it, I'm going to stop trying to be, you know, quote unquote, try to be good at this and just sort of let it do whatever I want, whatever it feels good. I just sort of naturally made content that was appropriate for myself and therefore probably better content and so forth. Um, and that's the same thing true as this. I wasn't seeking another startup, didn't have a timeline, but then um, I had an idea for another startup and I, I went out and did a lot of customer development, decided that was a bad idea. Then I had this idea for WordPress engine, did the same thing, discovered it was a good idea. And um, oh, it seems it. like that's, it, it, I was just going to say just that, that whole thought that you're saying seems very uh, similar and related to the whole honesty thing that you're talking about as well. It's true. I mean, if you, if you do whatever sort of natural or most honest about what you enjoy or are good at, um, surely that's a better fit. And, and, you know, another way to look at it is you can make any kind of startup of any size and shape with any format, with any kind of goals, personal or financial or otherwise, they all can be done. In fact, that's one of the wonderful things about doing a startup is that you get to form a lifestyle. And I don't mean that in some, like, again, often from California, you get this derogatory term of a lifestyle business. And I don't mean that at all. I mean, you know, whether that lifestyle means I'm trying to be the next Twitter uh, and, or whether that means, um, you know, I want to be a, a consultant who works only enough because I have other interests you know, this is exactly, this is exactly the point of being self-employed is to be able to form a lifestyle that makes you fulfilled and perhaps even happy, but let's go with fulfilled and, um, (laughs) you know, trying to be honest with yourself and try to about what will do that for you, which by the way, even if you're trying to be honest, is super difficult to find out what will make me happy. In fact, I would argue I'm still trying to zero in on that thing. Um, but if the more you can, obviously that's going to make you just a better life period. And, and, and also probably more successful at that thing since it's again, um, you know, matches yourself. So, well, I want to make one, uh, a comment on this, uh, Justin, I, I feel like interviewing Jason Cohen is kind of like when we interview Derek Sivers, they're both sort of startup philosophers. <laughs> I think we could have our startup philosophers series. Cause a lot of, a lot of founders we talk about are more, uh, it's functional. Like I did this or I did that. Well, I can tell you that too. Yeah. I'm happy to be yeah. very well, prescriptive, but you know what I find is a lot of times when I talk to startup develop uh, startup founders that uh, I don't know if I call it philosophy, I'd call it therapy. Right, startup therapy. So, I, yeah, we should, I, maybe we should do is come up with a list of our of our startup philosopher series. You know, for people who like to take a couple steps above the actual functioning and, and, and think about why they're doing what they're doing and what it all means and all that kind of stuff. But well, cause it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So he's, he, um, they've moved beyond the point of money being the issue, surviving being the issue. Now they've kind of had some success. They've got some success in their pocket. So 
it seems like a natural progression to philosophize. But yeah. you know what, what's, what's weird about that is, um, you know, uh, it was a, it was a dilemma whether to sell smart bear and, um, at all. I mean, it was a good deal and so on, but still. And, um, so it sort of, it caused all of these kind of questions to be asked, like, do you want to sell it? Um, why are you, or why not to, what about other people at the startup? What, what is your actual goal? What do you think will actually make you happy? What, what do you want to do? Cause we didn't have to sell. We were doing really well, which is also why the deal was really good, but still, so it sort of, it sort of caused, I, I never really thought about whether I was happy doing smart bear or whether it was big enough or whatever. It just wasn't, it, it never crossed my mind. And, and so, and in fact, even now hearing myself talk about this here, I kind of think, Oh, who cares? Let's, let's get to like, how do we get the customers, which I'm, Again, I'm happy to talk about very specific things like that too. That's often more useful, but it's, but it's true that, um, this, this is really <clears throat> important. And if, and if that part's not satisfied, then who even cares? In fact, I, I know personally startup founders who have, who are running, you know, reasonable size cons- uh, companies or have had exits that, um, anyone would look at it and say they're successful. Like the company's well-respected, they make money, whatever, whatever you want to say, and they're not happy. So, it, it, on the one hand, it's kind of squishy and, um, and, and, and perhaps even useless, I admit, to talk about stuff like that. And on the other hand, what is the point if that's the case? <laughs> you know, what, yeah. what, why are you choosing that? What, what, you know, isn't that important too? Uh, in, in which case, you should just have a, you know, have a day job that's more relaxing, less stressed, where you don't well, have the responsibility. Or a startup, in your but that's just simply designed differently. I mean, I know a lot of people, for example, who are really happy until they hired employees and then they're not happy because they don't want employees, it turns out, but they had in their mind that they need to grow. And there's lots of ways to grow without employees. There's lots of ways to make lots of money without employees or with or certain kinds of employees or only at certain, only with certain uh, uses or only, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways to, to sort of design your business around what's going to make you happy. And, um, it's still try to achieve things like maximizing how much money you're making and that sort of thing. I had literally thought to myself yesterday, maybe I want to give up being an entrepreneur and just go back and get a day job because there's so much stress involved, especially since Plugio is no longer like a one, a one man thing. I'm now working with a team. And so that adds a lot of extra stress um, in delegating and looking after other people. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, let's put the, um, philosophy aside for a minute and let's get into the story of 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 the wordpress engine in fact actually what i'd like to hear is a story of the first idea that you had that you end up not liking you try to validate not liking and then get into the idea of wordpress how you validated that and, and go kind of go through both the, the 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 marketing startup concept you know um business side as well as the technology side because i think all that stuff would be really interesting to hear about sure so um I think vetting an idea is, is, you know, one of these new art forms. I mean, it's always should have been an art form. They used to call it things like market analysis and crap like that and did odd things that probably, you know, did, did, weren't successful that often at determining whether something was in fact good for a startup. Um, and now with the lean startup method and, and other stuff that sort of shoots off of that, you hear a lot of things like, well, you go out and talk to people and you do all these things. And um, I, I did those things. I feel like, you know, again, I, I end up mentoring a lot of founders. So I see a lot of people doing this and I feel like a lot of people don't really do an honest job of going out there and really trying to disprove themselves and so on. So I've come up with a couple of sort of guidelines that I've used for myself and not just prescribing this to other people, um, both for things like WordPress engine and, and even during WordPress engine, we, we continually come out with new ideas or we explore new things. And so 
every maybe three to six months, I do this again. And I follow this very same method to do it. And it's worked out really well um, for us. And so I could give you like a quick outline of what that is. It's very um, sort of specific if you want. Sure, sure. But let's yeah. do it. Let's do it um, as as part of your story because I think when okay. you t- when you tell it as a story, it makes it real easy for people to sort of remember the progression and the context, if you don't mind. Well, okay. So the first the first story is really about um, one idea failing, and then the WordPress engine idea succeeding. And why is that? How did I know that? How do you know right. when you're seeing that? So the first idea I had was um, for um, a, a web analytics tool um, that was that it made some improvements on things like Google Analytics um, in some specific ways. So just one example is um, when you set goal values in Google Analytics, um, that's fine. But of course, you don't really know what the goal value is going into it. And after you run data for a while, you suddenly realize this goal value is really about a, a 20th of, of what you thought it was. And this other action is actually really important. And you you sort of want that to be sort of fluid. And you want it so that when you change those values that it goes retroactively so you can see what had happened and, and you know, sort of redecide what you're going to do next. And th- these tools generally don't do that. Mine did. And there was like three or four things like that. They were like, oh, yeah, that would really help me. Um, that would really help my web analytics and, and you know, my decision making. So I, I was the pizza tester. For that's you. right. I showed it to you. What was and, it called? Uh, Lead Spy. Lead Spy. Which is a okay. really bad name, too, but that's okay. At this at this stage, names don't matter, and so I took it around to people and um, and I showed them this, the the sort of the features, um, and this is what happened. Every single person said, "This is really cool. The world needs this. You know what you should do with it." And then what happened next was different for every single person. Um, one person would say. You know what you should do with this is uh, you should be freemium. You could get a, a million uh, users, and then you upgrade for various things. You could figure with figure out what that is later. Maybe it's due to volume. But this is one of those things where like everybody could use it, and you could use freemium and low support volume and that sort of thing. And then the next person would say, uh, "Yeah, you could do that, but you know what? You need to go up against Eloqua, and those guys charge five thousand dollars a month. You can sell through consultants who already." need these kind of tools and could use this in their toolkit, they'll be your sales force and so on. And everybody had a different idea of what, who would use it if it's developers or non-technical people and how much it would charge and what the channel is. And everyone had a different thing. I even had one guy say, oh, this is, you need this to track your online advertisements and where people are clicking and um, which ads are actually making you money and all. And, and if you're trying to do triage, like, or arbitrage that is, trying to bring in traffic from a certain source and see if you can convert it through ads and measure that. So everyone had a different idea of what should happen next. And so on the one hand, there, the kernel of the thing um, was still good. And this is, again, something I find all the time. Entrepreneur goes out, your basic idea is generally good. Like you didn't have a stupid idea. Like in general, it seems kind of cool. And you have some kind of feature that's kind of neat. Like that's always true. The problem is I, I see a lot of people do is they take it out. They show people, they say, yeah, that feature is kind of cool. And they sort of take that as, as validation of the market or the idea, which it's not because it, you sort of know that it's cool already. It doesn't tell you anything. So the real question is stuff like, will they pay for it and how much? And that's, and when I ask those kinds of questions, that's, that is what especially um, elicited all of this um, sort of disagreement. Well, would you pay $50 a month? No, it had to be free. Would you pay $50 a month? No, because I'd expect to pay a thousand and that sort of thing. Um, and it did not converge on anything. And so, I sort of decided um, there, 
I can't see the path here. Like any of these paths are probably rational. It's a huge market doing that sort of thing. But there's a lot of competitors doing a lot of stuff. I'm not seeing a clear niche. No one seems to agree on what it really should be. So um, I just sort of decided I didn't know what this was. And I don't think other people know what it is either. I'm going to leave it. Okay, well, let me, let me just interrupt you real quick. I want to ask you two quick questions about this. One is, did you build anything or was this just a list of features and a description of kind of what you're trying to do? In this case, I had built um, a prototype and had it working on some sites. You did? Oh, did no? Because much? you had an idea of what you wanted, right? Right. I, I, I had an idea of what I wanted. And also, I was sort of in this state where I wasn't really doing a startup. I was just playing and this was interesting to me. And so I built it not because I feel like the right order of operations is build it and then sell it. In fact, I think it should be the reverse. Um, but because, again, I was literally just playing for me. And so um, uh, I, I was having fun with the technical side of it and trying stuff. Um, this was all stuff that I had sort of built at SmartBear in a very strange way. And it was super successful for me at SmartBear. And I thought maybe other people would want it. And I thought it'd be fun to try to build that, uh, that kind of stuff. So it was, it was amusement. Okay. So you built, you built it yourself. And uh, just out of curiosity, what, what technology do you use to build it? Um, that I used PHP. Okay. And uh, <clears> the <throat> second question I'd, I'd, ask, I'd like to ask is, um, when you said you talked to people, how many people did you actually do formally interview about it? I sat down with 30 people in person. Wow. Okay. So that's that a good forever. number. It took a couple of months. Right. And so, and you know, a lot of people in your area because, uh, you participate in capital factory, right? I mean, is that, is that, was that one of the reasons that you knew some of the people that you could actually sit down with? Well, you know, that and the blog and other things. Yeah, that's right. Right now it's very easy for me to get meetings because I'm well known. However, um, there are easy techniques to get lots of meetings with people. If no one has ever heard of you uh, at all. Um, there's a, there's a great guest post on my blog about how this guy, did this for, um, it was like deer herd management software, if you can believe that. And um, <laughs> he literally called people on the phone and developed a cold calling scheme um, that worked really well. And he showed exactly um, how that evolved and what he used to do that. That's an example. Another example, though, that I can give you if you hate the phone, which I don't blame you. I do, too, is um, what I did uh, later at, at during uh, WP Engine um, in designing some of these tools for developers. I used the following technique. Um, I went to LinkedIn and I knew I wanted to talk to WordPress um, uh, consultants. And so that's easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, you know, a whole bunch of, of people who claim that they are those, that thing. So then I would send them a, each of them a message. They're of course easy to find because um, even on their personal website, they want to get inquiries about work. So that's not hard. Um, and, um, and by the way, if, if your customer base is very hard to get hold of, that's a bad sign already. Because then how are you going to sell them? Like if you can't sell them, if you by hand try to go one by one, why do you think it's going to be super easy to find them other more indirect ways, right? So it's nice, right. it's nice sort of to pick something where it's not too hard by hand to find people. So assuming you have some way like LinkedIn is an obvious one. Then what I do is I send them an email and say, hey, you're a WordPress consultant. We're trying to build tools for WordPress consultants. Um, you, I would love to get your opinion on this. I'm not trying to pick your brain. Your time is money. I know that. I'm willing to pay whatever you think is 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 correct for your time, even if that's two hundred dollars an hour. Because this is a one-off thing, that's fine too. You just tell me the rate. Happy to pay uh, because I genuinely want your opinion, and I'm not trying to get something for free. Right. And I sent that out, and I had a one hundred percent positive response rate. Everyone was willing to talk, and zero percent of them 
charged me. Wow. <laughs> In other words, so the fact the that fact- you're willing, the fact that you're willing to pay means right. that they were they were fine that they knew you were serious. It, it, it meant I was serious and not trying to take advantage and genuinely wanted their opinion and that was and that was sufficient for them. But even if five percent, ten percent, fifty percent wanted to pay, it would still be worth it. Um, and sort of the right attitude, of course. So that's all just to say there's very specific ways uh, in many in, in several different channels to get people to talk to you even when they have no idea who you are and so forth. You just sort of have to do it in a way that's respectful of their time um, and, and so forth. Um, I, I feel like you could just take what I just said and absolutely duplicate it for a lot of different products. I think that's just a sure. you know, universal technique. So you, so you spent two months talking, interviewing people. And then I guess at one point you just sat down and just decided this just doesn't have a clear direction. Right. So I'm going to dump it and, and maybe wait for another idea to come. Or did you have the WP engine concept bubbling in the background? And no, you it wasn't bubbling. I just, okay. I just sort of lost my woody for the, for the, the, marketing tool because I just couldn't see what the path was. It just, it wasn't crystallizing. It was diverging. Right. right. And so how long, how how long, how long, how much time passed before you, before WP engine uh, started to crystallize in your, in your brain? Maybe four months, something like that. Okay. So you just sat back and it came to you. So, well, okay. Well, tell us about that then. How, where did the idea come from? How did it evolve or did it, did it evolve or did it just pop in your head and, and, and it's almost exactly how you, thought about it in the first place well like it like many things um you know i needed it because i was getting on hacker news and my blog was was um coming was not surviving that that traffic i was going down and uh so you know again being a technical person who enjoys such things like optimization and scale i went and you know figured out some basic ways to fix that and did um but then i would still get more traffic and and there were other reasons why I was thinking, why am I spending all this time, you know, messing around with server software and whatnot? I shouldn't be doing that. And so I looked around for something else that would work. And I kept asking other bloggers that I knew, like, hey, do you know of something else, some service I could use that maybe costs money and so on, but that would just make my blog fast and not go down? And uh, everyone said, no, but if you find one, tell me, because I need that too. I said, really? And so Suddenly, I turned this around and said, "Hey, would you pay fifty dollars if I had a service where your blog was fast and didn't go down?" Right. And uh, you know, and of course, I had a couple of other things in my mind. I had built my built myself a staging area, so I would say, "What if it had a staging area and so forth?" Would you pay fifty dollars a month? That's what I asked everybody. Would you pay fifty dollars a month? Um, as I, you know, sort of informally asked people that, the answer was yes, a lot. And so I went and did more customer interviews, just like before, in person and all that. And I asked everybody, you know. And so, and very quickly, it came down to these same things. I want it fast. I don't want it to go down. Security angle popped up. Uh, the staging area is cool for some people. The staging area was literally they're like, I would take it just for the staging area. That kind of thing. What is a stage? What do you mean by a staging area for a, a, a for WordPress? So, if you want to test a new style sheet or see if a plugin upgrade kills your box or whether the new version of WordPress core uh, is compatible with your plugins or anything else that involves making a change to WordPress. You can't right. do that in some safe, isolated environment. It's just live. It just is what it is. And so right. what we built is you push a button, and uh, uh, 10 seconds later, you have an exact copy of your blog as it is today. Same file, same database, but just different domain name, secret domain name. Then you, the developer, can go and do whatever, right, and make sure you're happy with it before you then go and do it to your real blog. And so um, it's a testing area. Got it. Okay. That's great. And I... And to be honest, it's something that I think I should probably have uh, because, I, you know, it always worries me when I click that update button. I know it's going to do updates to the database. Yep. I'm like, what, what would really happen if this, you know, fell over? Yep. So um, so that was part of the pitch. And and everybody was just like, yep, that's it. And, you know, 
there was some, uh, maybe a few questions around certain things, but um, in the main, it was it was exactly the opposite. It was convergent. Everyone's like, "Yep, these are the three things." Yep, I pay fifty bucks. You know, it was some pushback. You know, there was here's another thing I think is silly in customer development that that founders should ignore. Um, people will always want to tell you what they think other people want. In other words, <laughs> right. they think they're the market research. So they'll say things like, I'd probably pay 49, but I, I think you should be more like, like 29 because I think more people would go for that. Well, that's fine that they think that, but that's your job is to go ask a bunch of people and see if that's true. <laughs> not, right. they, they're not doing what you're doing right now. They're not uncovering all the secrets and asking the, the questions and they're biased. And so I, uh, you, I think you should, you can listen and, and maybe use that to inform a new questions, like use that as a guide to get new questions, but absolutely never write that stuff down as fact that, um, that most people therefore will say, you know, no, 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 that's, that's maybe in your notes, but that ain't, that ain't fact. You go find out if that's fact. Right. Okay. okay. With smart, we, I just want to get one quick question in here, Jason. With, with smart bear software, the product you were selling was actually more complicated than this product. And I'm interested Fastly. to know if it, like, how does it feel to, I mean, just the difference of those two products complexity does it is it just much better selling a simpler product i wouldn't i wouldn't say better there's different kinds of companies different kinds of products so on the one hand um it is nice to have a, a volume of new customers signing up every day that feels good um, makes the revenue predictable makes the business more predictable means we can do things like hiring plans in a way that's more predictable i mean we have um, over 20 people now at wordpress engine and, you know, it's nice to have like the steady drumbeat of people signing up all the time, uh, feels very comfortable and, and so forth. <clears throat> Recurring revenue, of course, is terrific. Everybody likes that. However, when I did Smart Bear, um, we were the, I, this was the only product of its kind. So anybody that, that was interested in any way really had no choice other than to check us out. And it's either us or, I don't know, roll it your own or, or do something else. So because the product was, in fact, good also... Um, we just mopped up and, um, you know, it, it was much easier to deal with those kind of sales situations. I was able to eventually charge quite a lot. Um, our floating licenses there were $1,300 a seat and um, average transaction. Uh, once we got going, not at the very beginning, but once we were really rolling, average transaction side, size was around $12,000. So although it's not recurring and da 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 da, da um, and it's a complicated product and all that, people are also willing to spend money. And so, you know, I was doing six and seven figure deals and, and the company itself obviously was doing that kind of revenue. And, um, and it was nice, you know, kind of being the, the, the leader and inventor and expert in a space that was just, you know, that there's, that there's a lot to be said for that as well. And although, we, of course, we're experts at WordPress, we're by far not the only experts at WordPress, right? I mean, there's a massive community of a wonderful community of, of people and products and services and everything around WordPress. So, uh, you know, we, we are the best we can be, but, but at SmartBear, we got to be like the leaders, the only ones, almost like the automatic of that space, right? Um, the inventors of it and then the leaders. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say best. I would just say there's different stuff and, um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, there, there are different trade-offs and different advantages and disadvantages and so on. Okay, I'd I like to uh, do a little follow-up on your market validation for WP Engine. So you said there were three uh, main uh, problems you were solving. Feature one of them was our uh, features, I guess, like the staging issue. What were the other two? Speed, scale, security, tech support, and staging. That was okay, the so that like was the five. five. Yeah, that was okay. the five that like that. If I talk to someone, at least one of those five, they'd say, "Oh man, seriously." 
And then they tell me some story about either how they were hacked. So, so that sounds interesting or either how the tech support at some shared hosting company sucks. And so that's interesting and so on. Well, how much did you, how, how often would it be where you would lay out all your ideas for what some uh, super WordPress site would be like versus you basically explain, look, we're going to come up with sort of professional level WordPress service um, and then and maybe tell them a little bit and let them uh, bring out their own ideas and see if they matched up. And were you, were you just saying Hero 5 and they would just say, yeah, three of those are things we care about? Or would you just sort of get into a basic conversation and they'd start bringing up their own ideas and it turned out that they would match up with what everybody else say, was saying? Yeah, um, it's it's difficult to have people generate ideas. Um, people are usually pretty bad at generating features and ideas or very idiosyncratic about that, whereas they're pretty good at describing pain, if you ask them that correctly. Okay. So um, this is this is the technique I've used now several times. I think this is sort of the right way to do this. The, the, it's If you launch into your product and features and so on, you're essentially doing a sales pitch. And again, as an entrepreneur, you're probably pretty good at that. And you can probably convince pe- a lot of people that this is a good idea and that they should pay. And that's not the point of customer development because, of course, this isn't actually how your website's going to be. And this is not actually how the sales will normally be, these one-on-one things. Um, and anyway, if you convince them, then you're not learning. Right. And so, um, so that's the wrong way to go. And so, and so this is what I do. The, the first thing that I do is I write down what, what I call the theories or the assumptions. And so... Um, for example, in this case, I could write down, um, people with WordPress blogs want their blogs to be faster. Now, now that's a theory yeah. I have, right? And if that theory is wrong, then saying stuff like fast blog is not going to be interesting, right? Um, it turns out, by the way, that that theory is pretty wrong. In general, people, especially non-technical people, don't really understand that speed matters in, the, in their blog. And you and I may not have realized that. I certainly did not realize that. I thought that would be obvious that people would think speed is great. Um, but it's not true, actually. Um, and that, that just goes to show why you need to write down these assumptions and theories you have, because a lot of them are actually not true. Now, I'll write down another theory, like people want their bounce rate to go down and their search engine ranks to go up. Now, see, of course, people are going right. to agree to that, right? Uh, sure. I say, of course, well, hmm. but yeah, in general, people do agree with that. But what they don't know is that uh, most of the time is that speed um, impacts those. And they especially didn't know that two years ago when I was doing these queries. I knew that they did not know that. Um, as you can see, this is going to affect things like your marketing and what kinds of things you say and 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 so on, right? Um, also, if you say, would you pay $50 a month for a faster site? Um, they may say no. And if you say, would you pay $50 a month if you had 20% lift in page views and therefore 20% lift in ad revenue? And the answer is often yes. So you see what I mean about writing down these specific theories of what people think, what their, what their attitude is or what they know um, like that. So another one would be um, people are willing to pay extra if, um, if you have, if you take responsibility for security of their website and you'll, protect them and even fix it. If something goes wrong, they'll, then they'll pay $50 instead of $20. There's a theory. Um, another one is <clears throat> people's WordPress blogs go down when they get a bunch of traffic. Again, I know that's true. I was just, you know, I'm on Hacker News that's, and I was going down. That's the whole point. But is that, <clears throat> is that generally true? Maybe on most hosting companies, that's not true. Maybe that was because I was self-hosting and retarded and most people don't do that. Or maybe most people don't get loads of traffic. They never even experience that. And so although it would be true in theory, they haven't run into it. And so they're not worried about it. 
or maybe it is happening on a regular basis and so forth, right? Like even though these things may sound obviously true, um, especially as the entrepreneur, because you're all ha- uh, excited about it and you know that in some basic sense it's true, that's not what you're doing here. You're trying to find out what people think and whether they uh, would validate or invalidate these theories that you have about what they think, right? Right. So, so what I do is I literally have like 15 or 20 of these theories. Um, and so then what I do again before I call is I make a set of questions based on that. So if the theory is um, you, you would pay extra money if your site was faster, um, the question might be, if I made your blog four times faster, would you pay me 50 bucks a month? So notice I'm being very specific. Or sure. um, another thing, another assumption I had was that um, consultants – uh, if you're a WordPress consultant, you make uh, five WordPress sites a month. So I'd, now a question there might be, how many WordPress sites per month do you make? That's okay to be okay. a little open-ended, right? Like Because right. I'm trying to get a number, and, and it's true that I, I want to get the real number, right? But I know in the back of my mind what I'm expecting because I wrote it down. That's really important. Now I know whether my assumptions were invalid or valid and so forth. Right, because anyway, you're being careful. In, in some ways, you got to be careful you don't lead the witness, right? Uh, exactly. You can't say, so you make like five sites a month, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, three, five, yeah. When the answer is two or three or one, right? <laughs> right, and they're, <laughs> right, like, you, that's, right, that's right. So you need to know what your assumptions are, and at the same time, you want to ask questions that are more open-ended so you get truth. So what I found when I do these things, um, especially like the last time we did this with, um, the, you know, what kinds of tools we're going to develop, um, what I find is, about a third of my theories were dead nuts on and I get even more clarity, like, um, you know, specific numbers around how many sites they make a month or, um, um, actually I discovered that there are different categories of consultants, not that many categories, but a few different ones. And they have very, each one of those categories has very different numbers and answers to things and attitudes about stuff. That's interesting. Didn't know that, but my question sort of, um, you know, led to that stuff. So that's interesting. So anyway, about a third of them turn out to be accurate observations and that's good a third of them are wrong and a third of them i find you know just dead wrong like the speed thing right oh my god i didn't realize people didn't know that right and then a third of it appears while we're talking like a third of it is just weird crap that appears that you didn't think one way or another that sort of comes up while you're chatting with people um about these things and that's great of course you just sort of add them to the list and keep going as you talk to people and that's part of how you sort of zero in on stuff and so at the end of all that hopefully you have um, you know, a, a true set of theories about how the world works, or at least a, 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 ver- a nicely verified set of theories. And now you can start taking some real actions because now you've, you've literally written down what you feel is the closest to the truth that you that you can get at the moment. And then you yeah. take action. And that's what we did. We would take exactly that. And we'd say, all right, based on that, what are five ideas for tools or, or of the 20 ideas we have for tools? What are the five of them that match these things the best? And we went forward and did it. And then, of course, People love these tools. Well, no kidding, because this is how we got the ideas for them. This is how we vetted it like this. Of course they liked it. Okay, well, okay, a couple things. Um, one is how many people did you talk to? The first case, the last, your, your Landelex tool, you said you talked to 30 people in person. But in this case, you're actually contacting people by phone. So I imagine you could potentially or talk to people more easily. Um, yeah, so it was how about, did, yeah. Um, with the, with the, Consultant tools, it was about 30 and or 30 hours, which is about 30, 30 or 35 uh, interviews. And with WordPress Engine itself, I think I ended up talking to 50 people, 5-0, because it, it's, it kept going well. And I was like, well, okay, uh, I'll just gather more cust- you know, initial customers then. And so I just kept going. 
Um, and, and of those 50, about 30 of them said, yes, I'd pay you 50 bucks a month. And of those 20 did when we launched or prior to launch, you know, they're like customers. Okay. Prior to- I remember mm-hmm. hearing, I think I remember listening to one of your, one of your uh, podcasts. You said that you actually asked people to write a check. You said, right, if you're interested, would you write a yeah. check now? And I sh- I that was a that really more. good, yeah, that was a really good, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good way of validating whether people were just BSing you just to be nice. Because you know, most people, they don't want to be a jerk. Like, yeah, yeah, right. good idea, man, cool, I don't know, I'd pay for it. You know, but it's like, would they really? And so how, how did, did you do that and how many people did you ask and how did that go? No, I should have done that. Um, I, was, I, was more, I was forceful in that. I, they would say, would you pay 50 bucks? And they'd say yes. And I'd say, now you understand when I say, would you pay 50 bucks? I mean, I'm going to build this and then I'm going to come back to you and say, remember when you said you were going to move to me and trust me and give me the 50 bucks? Are you then going to do it for real? And I literally ask it just like that. And I would only take as a yes if they said yes. And again, two-thirds actually follow through on that, which is pretty good. Because remember, it's not sales calls. So that kind of hit rate on, you know, is, is terrific, right? In fact, I think you only need a small number of people to say they pay for it and actually give you money. Because it's so hard to do that when you literally have nothing. That, that even, even a little signal there, to me, is, is pretty interesting. But I should have asked. And I've had other people do that in their companies. And they've been successful at that. So, for example, there's a company that was at Capital Factory, was it last year or the year before, called Group Charger. And they had done customer development, found a lot of people that said they like it. I said, how much should they pay? They said, well, we didn't ask that. I said, aha, we'll go back, ask how much they pay, and then also get them to write the check, even though you have literally no website, no product, no anything, no PowerPoints. They came back with 20 checks. And some of the checks were for different amounts of money, which is fine, because, again, you're just still trying to learn and validate. No problem there. But for someone to part with even five bucks and actually whip out their, literally whip out their checkbook and literally write you a check even for a small amount of money, is hard <laughs> and, and yeah. really, really was validated um, the idea. Why $50? Um, I was looking at some of the costs of doing these things, and, and I knew I didn't want to slumber it around with the, with the shared hosting companies. And um, the reason for that um, is, it, this is true of any company, but especially if you're doing a smaller company, um, now, now we're not a small company, but still, um, fighting over prices is almost always a bad idea. Like it just by definition, you're not going to have as good cash flow. It, it's, you're going to need a lot of customers, which is always harder um, in every way to acquire them in the first place to support them and so forth. Um, it doesn't give you a lot of room for doing anything, coupons or marketing or specials or um, anything like you just don't have room for anything. And uh, you know, the customers that, you win because you're cheaper are not necessarily the higher value customers, the ones that um, are are most valuable anyway. And then also I, I was looking at the shared hosting. It's just like, look, these guys like DreamHost and Bluehost uh, and so forth. For the money, it's a ridiculously great service. I mean, for $4.95 a month or whatever, it's crazy how much stuff you get. And it's not like I'm going to be better than that for that kind of money. And um, they sort of already have it wrapped up. It's sort of over. So if it turns out that that's what it's going to have to be, then I'm just not interested. Just not a company I want to build. So I want to know, can I charge more and deliver a whole lot more? And are there people who want that trade-off? If the answer is yes, that's nice. And again, SmartBear was kind of like that too. Um, And so if the answer to that is yes, then I'm interested. If the answer to that is no, I'm literally just not interested in the company anyway. Um, Right. And so, again, it was one of those, like, theories slash constraints of, like, I'm going to go ahead and assume this. If I'm right, hurrah. If I'm wrong, 
good. Good thing I figured this out before I went and built this thing. Right. Okay, so I got three quick follow-up questions on this <laughs> before uh, before we move on. <laughs> we got to move on because we got to get further into the story. But you said we. Were you were you working on this idea, incubating this idea with anyone else? Do you have a partner in crime? No, that's the usual founder, Royal We. Okay, Royal We, got it. Okay. Um, you said you have 50 interviews, um, and it sounds like you were getting kind of pre-sales was there any part of you that said, why don't I just keep going while I'm building it and keep doing the interviews, even though you pretty much are just going to be validating, but in a sense, you're getting pre-customer orders. Yeah, I mean, that that wouldn't have been a bad idea. Um, I, I, I don't think there's a right time to cut that off. I know there's companies like Food on the Table who had something like 150 interviews before they got started. I don't think there's a right or wrong time. Certainly, you know, three interviews is too small, but I mean, at a certain mass like that, um, I think you can do what you yeah. want. Yeah, not uh, for validation yeah. purposes, but just like, hey, you know, yeah, for sales. Turn, when we turn this thing on and it's right. like, boom, you're going to have a bunch of income right out of the gate, which would be pretty cool. It would be. Um, you know, I think if I were bootstrapping and didn't have a lot of money, I think that would be exactly the right thing to do. I think you would actually get them to sign up with their credit cards for real. You would, um, at, at, you, would you know, charge that first month uh, and then hold it until you were really ready to keep going and do that technique that would show it's, it's almost like a crowdfunding kind of thing in that sense. I think right. you could keep doing that and you could have something in your mind like, I want to launch when I know I'm going to have $2,000 a month in revenue and just keep going until you have that. I think that's really smart, especially if you have a day job and you know, you're, you, know, you kind of need more before you can really pull the trigger on implementation and or pulling off the day job. I think that's all really smart. In my particular case, um, you know, of course, I, had, uh, I could fund this company as much as necessary, so I didn't need to do that. And of course, there's also the thing that's you know, when you actually launch and get in the field and go, that's when you actually learn the most. And you, and you want to get to that point as fast as possible. And so in general, you do actually want to go ahead and launch as fast as possible um, and not delay that too long, even though you may be learning or, or selling. Because yeah. there's only so much you can, there's still only so much you can do before you have product. And, and I should say before people are using that product while they're paying for it. And so you do want to accelerate into that. Nevertheless, like I love that idea of sort of, um, generating a monthly cash flow uh you know sort of dam a dam that you can then break when you're ready to go that's that's smart too i just didn't need to do that in my case right i I could see that like after say 25 or 30 interviews especially if you start seeing convergence in um Mm -hmm. customer need that you'd be like okay my learning rate is falling off and to reaccelerate to accelerate that learning is then build something and put it out there as you said get it live and then that's where the real learning starts i guess i guess it would probably be a good idea if you had sort of like a, a partnership where we have one business guy and one tech guy. And it's like, okay, when you start building it, the tech guy's like fully engaged building and then business guys sitting around kind of waiting for something to be done so we can really do something. But that would be a way that, you know, the business guy could be like, <laughs> okay, building up revenue before it even starts. Of course. I mean, I, I do not believe in the model of uh, there's a business guy who doesn't have anything to do yet. If that's true, you have the wrong business guy. Right. And by the way, in a startup, you don't need a business guy. You need, you either need to be making stuff or getting rid of stuff for money and anything else is, is crap. If that, so I don't know what quote unquote business guy, you know, means, but if it means, um, gathering, uh, uh, qualified leads through landing pages and AdWords and optimizing all of those messages and getting a mailing list going great. If it means, you know, these kind of co- continuous customer interviews slash sales. Great. If it, you know, like if those kind of very tangible things are happening, awesome. If it's anything less than that, oh, I'm talking to potential partners. Oh, I'm getting logos. Oh, I'm getting, I'm making sure that the legalese on our um, 
our terms of service is good. If it's any of that garbage, uh, to me, it's a complete waste of time at that stage of the company. And um, that is not a, that is not a useful contributor. Right. Jason, in, in the story that we're talking, are we at the stage where he launched yet? Because I have a question about that. No, I will ask question just because of the, of the three that I want to follow up, and which, which he's segued into anyway, and then you can pick it up. Is the email list, did you do the whole email list building thing? I mean, uh, Rob Walling, that's a big um, thing he's always pushing is the value of getting an email list that when you launch, you have 500, 1,000, a few thousand people that you can form like, you know, hey, we're ready, let's go, and you have you know, orders coming in and all that. That was my question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. And I should have. Um, That's always a good idea. It's a great thing you can do um, before launch to continually test that you can get that you can acquire eyeballs that care about what you're doing. You can test the, the message of the, of the getting them to click to your landing page. You can test the landing page itself. Um, uh, so, So in other words, you can be iterating on those very things from before a single piece of code is written uh, and you've, you're, uh, you're creating an asset. The mailing list is an asset. The opt-in mailing list is an asset. And right. you can use that before launch to identify uh, alpha testers. You can use it after launch to get them to actually use it. You, you can, of course, continually, put, you should never stop doing that list and making that list and you can have special offers in there. And there's just a million things you can do. Um, you can even test test different emails into that list once there's enough of those emails. I mean, it's it's there's just it's it's kind of so inexpensive and so valuable, and you can do it with no budget essentially, and um, and w- in whatever state the code is in, and, and that's why there's just a, a billion reasons why to why you should do that, and not many reasons why you shouldn't. Again, the, the you know I didn't, and that's not because that was a great choice or anything. It was just uh, what happened, but I I do believe in that quite a bit. Okay. Since you've launched, has there been any kind of gold bullet marketing strategy that you've used since you didn't have a mailing list? Like how have you basically grown it from the word go? Well, there's, I guess there's several answers to that because it's been two years and we now have incredible growth um, and almost too much growth. And um, we're now, we're now past the sort of product market fit, what, you know, what marketing things will work. And we're into the real scaling phase where we're hiring like mad and processes are changing all the time and we're having to have meetings all of a sudden, damn it. And you know, all this stuff that happens when you start scaling. So of course the answer to where is that growth coming from has changed over time as those things have changed over time. So at the beginning though, the answer is um, a lot of word of mouth um, and almost no marketing. In fact, I think we spent basically nothing on marketing for a year and relied on, you know, we're in a community WordPress where um, word of mouth is a strong um, is a strong effect. Um, that's a, a fortunate thing about our, our company. But before you think, oh well, that's uh, that good. For, you know, you're lucky that that's true, or, or businesses that do that are lucky. Um, what about me? Um, in, in a lot of senses, it's actually better to be in a market where you pay to get traffic, and you pay, you know you sort of pay to get signups because then you develop this mechanistic way of putting money into certain channels, measuring everything, and producing money and it becomes a mechanical process, which is actually nice because if you think about it, you can control that better because it, you know, if you can get into a condition where you make more money than you spend to acquire a customer, which is harder than it sounds, but if you can get there, then it's just a matter of quantity of inventory and quantity of cash. Uh, and, and that's, that's a good position to be in. That's a, a position of strength and control. Whereas, um, you know, it's, it's nice that there's word of mouth. It's nice that there's a big community. And on the other hand, you obviously don't get to control the community. You do your best to be good members of that and to, and to earn 
um, you know, earn business, but it's not in, it's not directly in your control and you can't just like spend more money and magically have customers come in. So again, the usual, like what's best (laughs) argument isn't, isn't valid. It's just, you know, these are the challenges you're going to face if you have this or that kind of company. So the beginning was word of mouth. Um, now it's still primarily word of mouth. And, um, just like we were talking about with the blog where, we still have exponential growth, except now we have a critical mass where that means the slope of the curve is is large, whereas before we had so-called exponential growth, except the slope is small, right? Um, if you think about it, I mean, if, if you're mathematically minded, then you'll appreciate, you know, uh, the, the, the exponential curve is the one where the derivative is the same as the value of the curve, at least e to the x is. In other words, the, the curve is growing as fast as whatever its absolute value is. So if your absolute value is small, it's not growing fast. And if your absolute value is big, then you are growing fast. So it in again, in retrospect, looks like WordPress engine's got exponential growth, which is of course great for us, but it also means the first year was slow because <laughs> it was small. Um right. and, and word of mouth is often like that for the same reason blogs are, right? Um, because not that many people might talk to you about it, but it's not that many people and all that. Um and then we started, you know, experimenting with things like Google Ads. I, I like Google ads um, at the beginning, not because they're super efficient. They're usually, usually not the most efficient way to get um, customers for any company. However, when you're early, you get to um, spend an amount of money you can control and you get to test a lot of language, you to test a lot of language about what are people going to click on. And of course you get to um, test landing pages with that traffic and you get to cause traffic to appear those are all useful things. And so when we started AdWords, we, we, we thought of it that way of this is going to be our own training ground for what kind of messages and, and whatnot um, people are, are interested in. And it was like that. In fact, we got our bounce rate to our homepage to be only 20%, meaning um, 80% of the people who hit the homepage clicked on something else next. And that's pretty good. And we were able to iterate through that because we paid for traffic with AdWords. So I think if that's your attitude, I'm going to use this to, to be much better in my marketing um, then I think AdWords is, is, is very useful. And then, of course, the, the, the metrics will dictate whether it's, in fact, a good financial plan long term. But once you have your messaging, at least, let's just say, a lot better than whatever it was when you started, well, now you can try literally any kind of marketing campaign and go into it with a pretty reasonable idea of what your messages will be, should be um, and, and just proceed you know, using metrics as your guide from there. So that's, that is how we started from word of mouth and, and kind of dipped into online marketing and how we thought about it and how we started thought about spending money. Um, and then once it was, once we had a good feel for the lifetime value of our customers and which I, I go into how we know that if you want, but once we had a good feel for what that is and how that's working and how much our marketing spend is, is affecting that we, we then got comfortable ramping up our marketing spend quite a bit. <clears throat> and, uh, and other things like going to WordCamps, which is the WordPress conferences that happen all around the world. We go to about two of those a month. Um, and, uh, and other things like now we do a bunch of things. Um, of course it's always, it's always easy to say that once the growth curve turns and, and, and you have a lot of people to do you know, who are able to do things and, and money to do them with it. And of course, various, uh, doors open, you can work on multiple channels at once and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So after you, um, you cause you're getting back to the story. So after you, um, you, you validated your customers, you said, all right, I want to, I want to launch this thing, build this thing. I mean, what did you do? Did you go find partners? Did you build it yourself? Did you go and try and raise funding? I mean, how, how did that whole, you know, next three to six months uh, progress? Um, I built the architecture. Um, we, uh, again, 
no, I built the architecture. I said, <laughs> okay, then, okay. And, uh, um, and, and, you know, and then initially we, I did have um, a couple of, uh, of employees, uh, you know, as soon as it was, it was validated, could put together okay. a small team. And, um, so I, but I did build the, the, um, all the infrastructure initially and, um, the other uh, members of the team were either getting new customers or, um, uh, there was one guy um, who was getting new customers in the door as his job. And the other guy was a super WordPress expert. And so um, kind of combination gave us some credibility, some validity um, also helped to bring in some customers and also was able to just do, you know, super deep um, tech support and sort of decision-making on that kind of thing being um, much more well-versed in WordPress than I was. Um, and so, th- so then we just got started with there. So in other words, some people who had some ties um, and or that was their job to go get customers. So did you just pay for them out of your or fund this with your own out of your own money? Yeah. See, that's again, you know, that that's one thing which, uh, of course, is a great advantage to have uh, uh, some money in your back pocket to fund it with. And so I was able to do that. Uh, also, my business partner, uh, Joshua Bear, we both put in the initial money, um, looked pretty interesting. Then a third person. um um, put, put in, uh, some money as well that wanted in. We, we had, again, Josh and I had both done other, um, business deals with this person before. So it, it, it felt like a good thing to do. It felt interesting. Um, and, uh, we kept, you know, I feel like nowadays a company that has revenue and, and is in a market that's obviously big and growing, um, seems to be doing an interesting job, even if it's early and you just have 20 or 30 customers paying you money, um, can, can definitely get that kind of money by which I mean, 40 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, um, whether it's friends of family or angel list and, and that sort of thing. I think if you have a kernel of something, it's pretty easy nowadays to do that on a pretty good uh, valuation. So so you, would you call this an angel round when you and a couple people put in or was this sort of a, this was sort of a seed round? Yeah. And how much did you guys each put in? Josh and I both put in 20 grand and um, that was actually sufficient, believe it or not, to get us to profitability in about seven months because... Um, I was not taking a salary, another advantage of, you know, having some money in the bank. And right. um, the other two guys were taking low salaries and, of course, with stock. And and, uh, and as we got more money, uh, we raised them up. But, you know, they they sort of participated that way. So we got up to get cash flow positive pretty quickly. Then we hired two more people and, and got cash flow positive again in six months after that. So in other words, we saw that we, we had built a, in general, profitable company that, you know, will grow and, and you know, uh, sort of be right side up and be a decent company. So and that was the, you put yeah. in okay. So you put in forty grand, and then you should a third partner put in some money. He put in the same yeah. like twenty grand as well. No, so that was 60, yeah, okay. that was another eighty or hundred grand, but we never used all of it. Okay, so even off of mo- that forty grand, let's say maybe use twenty of that a- of that eighty or whatever that was sixty grand. So fifty, sixty grand that got you to cash flow positive with maybe four or five people. No, just three people, including me. And remember, I was not taking a salary. Okay, so you so said it's, you a little, it. it's a little bit of cheating, but but on the, in that sense. But it also uh, proved or demonstrated that, like, oh yeah, this is a this is a reasonable company that can make money. Okay, so now when you when you look at your investors page, you have like, uh, you know, I don't know, like fifteen people. We have a t- ten well, now, people. Yeah. T- yeah, ten. So did you bring people on one at a time or did you no. go and say, well, let's do a formal angel round and try yeah. and get a big group. Okay. So what happened was we got to this point in, in the story where we had gotten profitable sort of for the second time. Um, and then, then we came to this crossroads where we said, okay, so we could continue doing this. Um, you could say bootstrapping with a seed round or, you know, whatever you want to call that. Okay. Um, 
and just make a company that grows at this rate, which is, you know, not quick, but certainly quick enough. Um, and that's fine. It could just be a company that generates uh, interesting cash flow, and um, that's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. Um, but also, because it looks so good and the market is large and people seem to like this, it doesn't seem to be a ceiling on how many people need this. Um, it feels like the kind of thing that could scale in the sense of marketing and humans and technology. Um, we could go and raise an A round at very pr- nice terms because, because all the data we have are, you know, are, are really favorable. Um, and we could try to make this a bigger, badder company. And so should we do that? So what we, so what Josh and I did is we put together a term sheet that was very favorable to us. So it's things like we maintain control of the board. We maintain control of the stock. The valuation's nice and high. So they're, we're not diluted very much and so on and so on. Um, so in other words, terms where it was kind of like if someone would put in money at these terms, then right. we'd be crazy not to do it because these are these are super, super favorable terms. And so, of course, we're in this angel uh, bubble anyway. And on top of that, this company looks good. It's always, you know, the team looks good because we have experts. And of course, I've, I've got the right resume to run a company. Um, we have all, all the financials look terrific. We're in a market. Uh, the WordPress market is, of course, large and growing. Um all the bits and pieces just look really good. Like, like investments don't look a lot better than this when the company is at the stage of its life. Like this is, there's always risk. There's plenty of risk, but like if, if you're investing in these kinds of companies, this is all the kinds of risk you're willing to take and none of the sort of extra risk that might otherwise be a red flag. So very easy then to raise money at this level. So we figured on Angelus, we could get kind of however much money we wanted, 200 grand, a million, whatever um, at these terms wouldn't be hard. Um, and as you mentioned, I do Capital Factory. All those uh, folks are the kind of folks that like to do this too. Um, so there was some personal network also that was that would make it easy. So we ran around and we found Silverton Partners, which is a, an, a kind of a special kind of um, venture firm in Austin. I could describe uh, if you want why we pick them because they're sort of unusual um, in in ways that make their incentives actually align with ours. And uh, so they they led the round. I took most of that round. Um, during the summer. And then I, we rounded it out with angels who we felt would be strategic. So there's people like Eric Reese who sees thousands of companies and has, you know, really insightful uh, things about certain kinds of problems that we were inevitably going to run into. Um, or like Bill uh, Bobel, who most people have never heard of only because he doesn't have a big blog, <laughs> but he, right. he made it, you know, a, a, a large, um, you, you say Gmail before there was a Gmail company. Um, and sold it to Rackspace. And so again, uh, he, he's this, you know, owner operator who's built a hosting company and took it all the way to selling it. And then, um, saw a lot of M&A deals and other things at Rackspace and then peel and had just peeled out of Rackspace. And so, you know, here's a guy with exactly the kind of experience and skill set that would be valuable to us. So that's what I mean by strategic, like people who really would, um, you know, affect the company and, and, and be able to provide advice and wisdom and, and foresight that would help us be successful, not just like people with money. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Cause you could, it sounds like you could have raised money from anyone. So you wanted, right. you wanted to get double your money. You know, like, all right, I want really good advice and I want you know, as lot with the money as well. Like Rob Walling was one of your investors, right? And he's obviously doesn't have, he's, he, he's not an investor of the scale of some of these other angel investors, but he has particular insights into building traffic and, and things like that. Exactly. Like when we have questions, if we have questions about how are we going to make an email drip campaign? How should we get emails in the first place? How do we make that most valuable? Rob is one of these like fantastic experts on it and to be able to bend his ear, which as you know, he, he uh, doesn't normally 
do that. He guards his time as he should. Um, but now I, I get to have that channel because he's an investor. And so I get to bend his ear. And so um, same with Eric Reese, right? Like lots of insight about different things. You normally don't get to talk to him, but I get to talk to him. Right, right. Um, and how, how, how big of a round did you raise? It was a total of 1.2. 1.2 million. And how many investors were in that round? Um, eight or nine. Eight or nine. And, did, and, and one of them was automatic themselves, the people that make WordPress. Right. No, okay, so that's a really interesting thing. Yeah. Well, before, I want to ask you about that. First, I want to ask you, first, when you did the terms, I know they talked a lot about like getting like, these convertible notes for these angel rounds. Um, did you do anything like that? Or what, what was sort um, of the essence of your, of your term sheet? You, you, do, you generally don't do convertible notes for your A round. That's typically for your seed round. Um, that's, what I, that's what I I mean, like your angel or your seed round. Okay, so this was, you consider this an A round and not a, an angel round? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so because what we were talking about before was your seed. So a lot of times you'll say, okay, friends and family, then angel, then A round. You kind of went seed and then A round. Yes. I mean, I guess right. it's just. I guess it's just semantics or like whatever you want to call it, but um. it's whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, the, in this case, because Josh and I could just put in our own money, we, you, you could have called that a seed round. Uh, we just consider that founders putting in their money, which is usually not really a round. It's just something that you do to get the company going. Um, and then, and so in that sense, we did not have a seed round, but if you, if you wanted to, you could call that a, a seed round, but when the founders put in their own money, it's not really a round. It's, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's just how you start, right? <laughs> how you begin. Right. Right. There's a bank account and, has to be filled with money and then other people need stock. So that's what you do. You know, how, how much of your company do you have to give up for the A, for the a round? I'm probably not supposed to say, but it was uh, certainly a minority. Again, we, okay. you know, we did not take a, a big dilution hit. And because, uh, because again, we knew we didn't have to with the nature of the, 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 the sort of raw data of the, of the company. And then the fact that we're in this angel bubble plus angel list, plus our own network, we just knew that we, Right. You know, we we knew we could just set the terms and it would work, and so we did. Um, it, it seems like it's almost a good rule of thumb: is try and raise money when you don't need it. <laughs> like you guys, that's yeah, always, the, of course, right? Because otherwise, you're it's in the terms of that great. So the 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 automatic investment. So that's that's kind of a big deal because in a way you're competing against them, but you're, I guess you're positioning yourselves to high end because they run WordPress.com, which is WordPress blog hosting. Yeah, we're not competing with them. They they run. You know, the free blogs plus power-ups, of which I think there's now two, 20 million of those running there. I, it's hard to keep up because it's so vast and it grows, but it's a lot. Um, and we don't compete with that because uh, we tell people all the time, look, the lowest we go is $29 a month, which is still not a lot. But, you know, if, if you're happy with, with the, the, um, the service, well, not the service, I should say the, the, um, the, the particular constraints of WordPress.com, if you're happy with that, you should totally do that. It's cheaper. The service is incredible. Like it scales and is fast and all that kind of stuff. So of course you should do that and not spend thirty dollars a month. But WordPress.com doesn't do things like you can't install your own plugins, for example, and you can't use JavaScript, which means you can't use Google Analytics. So if you want to do things like Google Analytics or some plugin you want, um, then it's it's simply not an option. And so again, like if it is an option, if you don't care about those things, you should be on there. You should not be with us. That that is the correct right. choice. So we're not competing. And and then of course they have the high end too. They have WordPress VIP. Which starts at, at several thousand, or you know, three or four thousand dollars a month and up, um, and that's for, of course, big sites. Um, and um, there again, we don't, we're not trying to steal, you know, MLB.com. Uh, we're happy to be in this in this vast middle ground between uh, MLB.com and, um, you know, 
free sites. Um, there's millions, millions, millions of blogs in the middle. And, you know, we feel like we're a good trade-off in that area. And Automatic is not in that area and has publicly said many times that they don't want to be in that area. Okay. So, so well, what advantage has it been to you to have Automatic as an investor? Oh, it's huge. I mean, we get access to their smart guys internally, which is great for everything from diagnosing bugs to seeing what's going on uh, next in WordPress to um, um, just our own infrastructure and architecture kinds of things, because obviously they've scaled just tremendously uh, in particular in WordPress. And so that's, that's you know a tremendous advantage to have access to that. Um, and then on the sales side, you can imagine if we're trying to close a larger deal and we're you know doing something that's going to be, say, five grand a month, um, one of the things is, yeah, you know, uh, Automatic is an investor, because uh, which sort of indicates that they think we're doing things right, and in in, in many senses of the word, and um, you know, is sort of behind us and all that. And that's the kind of thing that can really, among other things, that sets us apart from their other options. Right. Hey, Justin, feel free to jump in. I I just was trying to push through the story a little bit, so I didn't mean to totally monopolize the the interview. No, questions. no, it's no problem. You you've got it covered. You it's it's the show's going great so far. Okay, well, um, all right, how much did, and, and I think you've answered this before in a, in a blog post, but I think it'd be interesting to hear, hear you talk about it a little bit more, is, you know, so you have, you know, 30,000 RSS subscribers to your blog. Did that play much of a part in building your early uh, customer base, or was it not much of a factor? No, I thought it would be a factor. I thought I'd get, I literally remember telling uh, my business partner, Josh, um, we're going to get like 50 or 100 customers just from me blogging about it. Wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, did a, I did a big post announcing it and all this crap, and I got two. Wow. Two, two signups. <laughs> out of 30,000 readers and all this crap at two. And um, then I wrote a post about why I think I only got two. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's product market fit uh, right there. Well, you know, it's, it, it, well, the inverse of product market fit. What's right? funny is then I talked to some other people who are kind of in that same position, like Heaton Shaw, who does Kiss Metrics and is also super popular in blog and Twitter. I said, what the heck, Heaton? What did I do wrong? How do you do it? And he says, no, I don't do it. It's, I see the same thing. Like I get like a 0.01% of the people do something. It's like, oh, okay. So this is just what happens. He's like, yeah, that's just what happens. That's not how that works. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, so, so why doesn't it work that way? Because you have 30,000 subscribers, a lot of them are startups, technical people, people who probably run blogs. I mean, why didn't it work? Well, maybe if I came up with a, you know, a $9 PDF about how to do customer development, it would be more than two. But if it's not a complete 100% Venn diagram overlap of the readers and what you're selling, then you know, why do you expect it to be like that? And also, moving your blog is a big decision. It's complicated. If you're not, if you're not currently experiencing pain, then it's probably not worth the move. Also, we're probably more expensive than whatever you're doing now. That may not be true anymore. See, when I first launched, it was $49 a month. And now the cheapest is $29 a month, which is actually a pretty big difference for a lot of people, which is part of why we changed the price. Um, right. but, um, but, um, but at the time, it was 50 bucks a month. So, I mean, you know, and a lot of people reading my blog either haven't launched yet or are just getting started, don't have a lot of money to burn anyway. Certainly not uh, $600 a year on hosting even if it is better. And so it's just not a right fit for that audience in a lot of different ways. And so, um, yeah. And so, but now the, the blog has helped in other ways in particular it helps with uh, recruiting because I, a lot of the people at WordPress engine right now, they either knew who I was before or having, you know, Oh, this is this, this is Jason's company, whatever. And many of them maybe someday want to do a startup and they see this as a way to, you know, um, to see how that's done um, in this manner 
Um, it's also nice for someone who's sniffing out a company to see, all right, this is what the principles or the founder, this is what they think. This is their attitude. And, you know, you can tell right away reading my blog, what is my personality? Am I honest? You know, what, what do I think about different topics? How do I sort of treat different things? And you can just then make your own decision pretty easily. Like, is, does this feel like the kind of environment I'd like? And that's pretty cool. I, you don't necessarily get to do that in a lot of uh, companies, I guess more and more nowadays, but still. Um, and so in, in that kind of way, for example, being able to, um, to, to hire good people is, is, you know, no doubt like vastly enhanced. Also all the stuff about raising money. A lot of the reason why it was trivial for us to raise money is because of my online reputation. Like I could call up Eric Ries about it because I've been on panels with him and otherwise talked to him about stuff. And I, and that's happened because of the blog and my online presence. So, um, it's been a big competitive advantage, but just not in in the sense of of, of signing up people. I have, I have yeah. a question. Um, when you introduced your twenty nine dollar price plan, what sort of uh, growth revenue growth did you see? Um, we did see an immediate um, growth. Some of that was for people that were holding back until we had it, um, and knowing knowing that we were coming out with it. Um, you know, obviously we, as you can tell, we didn't just do that at random. There was you know, we obviously did a lot of. Um, poking around and research with our own customer base and so on before we decided on the new set of tiers. Cause we also have tiers higher than we ever had before, like a, like a $250 a month tier and even higher for larger blogs. I mean, there was, and we reshuffled and, and, and even added what kinds of things you could do in each tier. And all of that of course was based on stuff we were getting out of sales, uh, the sales channel and what we felt we could um, bring on. So if you look at the tiers the way they are now, you can pretty much reverse engineer exactly the information that we had before, uh, or you know the, the the feedback we were getting from before, because it's it's sort of apparent in how we cut things up and how we price things, right? So uh, right, but but did it? I guess what I'm saying is, let's say you had X number of people signing up at your fifty dollar price point before. Mm -hmm. Did you then get exponentially more for like in a kind of pyramid way for your twenty nine dollar price point? The reason that's a difficult question is because across the board, we've had, again, every month more um, bigger growth in signups than the month before. So everything goes up. So it's hard to separate out how much of that is price okay. versus that's what's happening. So here's a way I could answer that, though. I think that does answer the question and that takes that growth out of the equation. One of the things we track is how much total revenue do we get out of the different tiers? So how many $29 per month times how many uh, times 29 how many $99 per month times 99 and so on, right? The total revenue of the group. And we track that. And what we find is, although of course they're all going up, as I said, um, I keep expecting to see some big separation. Like one of, one of these sort of in, in total, there's more of people of that. In other words, it's more valuable and we should go after them. And that's a better segment. So forth. I keep expecting that, but it's not happening. Um, they're all, I mean, it's not identical, but they're all close enough to where it's like, well, none of these is really showing themselves as being vastly bigger than the other. And so we're just going to keep tracking it, but not taking any action yet because it seems like all of these are, are, um, you know, are real sort of use cases in the world. So if you, okay. So just to kind of re reverse the question a little bit, if you took away the $29 plan, do you think that all that money would then start shuffling into the $50 plan? Well, we, we, it goes right from 29 to 99 right now. Okay. So no, I don't think that that immediately they would all take 99. Some would. Um, and of course it's a lot more money. And so you could argue that maybe revenue would be the same and the profitability would be better. 
um, right? Because if you get the same same person with the same blog for a lot more money, obviously that's going to be more profitable. However, I think, um, I mean, you know, there actually is a pretty good argument for doing that. There's an argument, just go up market, go up market, have fewer customers, but much more profitable. Although it takes more human effort and other and sales effort and other things. So is it really more profitable? Um, maybe, probably. Um, but that's just not, that's, that's sort of not our general strategy. We don't want to be some kind of exclusive high-end whatever. Um, at the very high end, pushing up into that, that's what WordPress VIP already is. And it's not our intention to to compete yeah. with that anyway. And so that's kind of the inevitable direction of saying, let's just charge more and more. And so, um, and there's quite a lot of people, for example, who have a, a couple of blogs that they would spend a hundred or $200 a month on because they're large and they need it, but also have a handful of other blogs that need to be 29 a month or a consultant who just does 29 a month blogs and could probably put five or 10 blogs a month onto us. Um, and we're just shutting them out completely and, and sort of not including them at all. And so again, you could make you could maybe make the financial case for that. That that wouldn't necessarily be wrong. It's just not what, what we want to do. And of course, we also have the financial case to keep doing what we're doing as well. Um, another argument uh, for doing this uh, and for having a, a lower tier is that just the number of customers you have is valuable. It helps with the word of mouth um, in general. You know, it 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 adds it adds a lot of of kind of weight and momentum to stuff. Um, a lot of people will tell you that there's just this kind of percentage word of mouth new customers that they get every single month that's that it is proportional to the number of active customers and it's just there um, and, and those other new customers may be lower they may not be on the low tier it could be whatever but the point is that that it's you know very efficient new customers happy new customers because it's through word of mouth that's always happy and so forth inexpensive from a marketing um, in a marketing sense to get them and so it's just valuable to have a mass of customers. And that's also sort of the argument for freemium, although I'm not a huge fan of freemium except for in very specific cases, but um, it is the argument of freemium. So, but, but anyway, that's the argument of look, financially you should do it. So, well, yeah, that was actually what I was going to, I was, I was actually going to ask you about, you know, this seems like the freemium model just pushed up one step. So you're low. Yeah. No, no, no. The difference between free and $1 is vast. Right. Okay. I, I just mean that you. The reason, the reason that you have a lower price plan is the same. At least one of the arguments where people have freemium. It's like, well, but free customers no, is like marketing for me. No, because freemium it, you do because you believe you can convert X percent of them a month into something paying, and so it's okay. a way to hook them and keep their attention, do stuff with them. Yes, also get the word of mouth and other kind of mass advantages. Maybe the company also. The product is such that um, the more people that use it, the more valuable it is. And so you sort of need it just to create your asset in the first place. There's, you know, These are reasons to do uh, freemium. And the business model is you get them in the door with free and you convert them every month to go up. If you don't have that step, then again, it's not a, good, a business. It's just a thing. So that's not the case with the 29. I'm not trying to convert the 29s to 99. We never send them an email saying, hey, you should really upgrade to 99. Maybe we should, but we don't because the idea is not to ch- cause them to upgrade to convince them to upgrade, but rather just say, hey, if your blog gets, you know, five times bigger than it is today, then you'll need to upgrade. But like, we're not trying to force it down your throat. So in, in and we don't get network effects, right? Like if more people use us, we don't get some network effect like Twitter or Facebook would get out of that. It's not an asset for us. It's just sort of incrementally better through word of mouth. So it's really not like a freemium thing in any way. Um, except, yeah. except for the bar, except for the marketing, except for the word of mouth. 
Word of mouth. Okay. But just, just very quickly, just since you're talking about freemium and you said there were some specific instances where you thought freemium was a good idea, I'd be really interested to hear what kind of thing that is. Well, I mean, I just listed some of those conditions. So if you have, um, you know, if you have a, you have a product where it's not really that valuable unless there's a lot of people using it and then it becomes very valuable, then you, you might need freemium or might want to use freemium as a tool to build that asset up, um, where otherwise it would be it would be a long hard slog to build it up. So that's an example. Another example is when the path to conversion is really obvious. Like with Dropbox, the path is really obvious that you come in with an amount of space that's enough that you can get hooked on it. But you know you can obviously play with that limit to where you're going to trip over that limit. You can you can play with how that works, and then all of a sudden they're paying, and it it makes total sense how that would work. It's not going to be a struggle to figure out how to how to you know how to do that. Um, or another one would be some kind of API-based tool where, like, clearly you can develop for free. Clearly, small tools can use it for free. And as soon as they use it a lot, it would obviously be valuable to them, and therefore um, they'd be ready to pay. That's that's good. So when the path is really, really clear, another one is where the freemium people are essentially free. Um, you see companies where they have a freemium thing, but together with the support and server and other development costs, it's actually kind of expensive to run them. And when it when you look at that it actually ends up being very expensive and doesn't seem like a very good model. Whereas you have things where, um, I mean, even Dropbox actually is, is sort of in that category. If they didn't raise money, they probably could not have done that because it does cost money to store all that stuff. Um, and it's kind of a long-term strategy. But then you have things like a uh, peer-to-peer type of thing or something like Plugio where um, it, it, it just doesn't cost anything to have um, an extra person using it. It's using their own APIs and a lot of it's in their browsers and maybe it goes straight to Twitter sometimes or something like that. I don't, I don't even know, but you know, the more it's sort of horizontally scalable like that. And if you, you know, you sort of put together a culture sort of like 37 signals used to have where um, they literally just ignored customers, didn't care and never talked to them and just didn't have support. Sort of like how Google does, right? Google has essentially no support um, for almost anybody. So like if that's an acceptable model for your product, that's good. So as those things genuinely go to free, then it makes more and more sense to me to have the freemium model because it truly is free um, to have that. And, and in general, of course, it's easier to sell a free something or other than it is to sell a product. Um, so, so there are things like that where it truly the costs are down. Truly, it's valuable to have those people and truly you can convert them. Um, that's starting to feel better. I, I know that a lot of freemium things are, in fact, not like that. And it's just an excuse because you don't have a product people want to pay for. You don't have a business model yet. You don't know what it is. And so you figure, well, I'm going to do freemium because at least I'll get attention. At least I'll get some people using it. Then we'll figure it out. And, and, and just like you mentioned with the email list, it's something that can build over time. And, and so when we figure it out, we'll be in a position to monetize it and so on. And I don't believe in that model. Um, just because uh, I think the evidence is clear that most of those companies don't ever figure out a business model and so what the hell, <laughs> you know, um, it's okay if you, yeah, anyway. So, so that's why I don't personally, um, think that's such an interesting, um, business model. You, you, you have your, your podcast, which is a, a smart bear, right? Or just a smart bear podcast. I can't forget the title. Yeah. It's just part of the the blog as well, but it's a little show. It's like a call-in show. It's like Dr. Laura or, um, um right. you know, for, for startups. So your, so your, uh, your podcast is smart bear startups and marketing for geeks has it looks, like, it looks like you've done about twenty. I think I've listened to most of them at this point. And but you haven't done one since the end of January. What's are you uh, are you guys going to continue doing that, or is this kind of old? Or what, what are you thinking? 
Yeah, in fact, um, Patrick Foley, who's my producer, has just gotten a couple of new ones up, and so we'll get them in the in the queue and 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 done. It is really just a matter of um, you know, in in the the first half of this year, up to this point, anyway. Um, WordPress Engine has just been such a, a an, it just has exploded so much that it's just taken all of my time, and so um, you know, more fun extracurricular things like a podcast ended up have, having to be suspended. So I I didn't stop blogging because actually write really far ahead and then schedule it out. And so those have come out steadily just because of that schedule and that buffer. But um, the podcast is, is takes more time uh, than that. Um, but we have, we, we actually have new ones coming out, so that's going to be fine. And um, we have a new process together now where um, it was always not just a live show. It has to be a live show, but not just a live show, but also um, we would get like five callers in a row and that's, that takes a lot of effort to, um, to organize and do. And so we weren't able to do them very often. And then we're going to do a new thing where we just do them one off and uh, don't have to schedule them that way. And then we'll be able to pump them out on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. So, so you do it purely out of fun? Cause I, I guess yeah. this takes a fair amount of time. You know, your podcast audience is just going to be a fraction of your blog audience. So, you know, why, what's the, what's the drive to do the podcast for you? Yeah, it's fun. Um, just fun. Again, like all the good things that seem to have happened um, for me or to me in the last 15 years have been on this kind of basis, so just like I was talking about before, and this is one of them. So on the one hand, I can't have it, you know, if there's a priority conflict, I obviously have to, you know, choose the priority. But when there's not a priority conflict, then um, I, I find the good things happen when I do things that I enjoy. And um, I, I love talking to people about startups and helping with that. It, the, the interactive live format is 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 really interesting compared to um, the sort of thought out blog posts. They're both obviously useful, but um, I, I'm I'm sort of intrigued by audio and 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 radio and why is the Adam Carolla podcast successful and why was Howard Stern successful? I find that those things really interesting, sort of in general. Um, um, I I've gone through. Uh, I'm actually a graduate of improv comedy school here in Austin and was in a troupe for a while. So I like the sort of the spontaneous, immediate thing. That's fun. Uh, anyway, and um, so it's just something that that other people seem to enjoy. I I enjoy right. it, and so as long as those things are true, then we'll do it. And, and I guess that leads to my second question, which was about microconf. So, um, you know, as busy as you are, I mean, what what would you, someone like you, get out of going and speaking at a conference like microconf? Sure. Well, um, there's a couple of things. If you want to take the completely selfish route, um, the, the answer is. Number one, um, a, a lot of the other speakers are people that I respect and either have never haven't met before in person or only once or twice. You know, like I've, I've obviously met Patrick uh, um, McKenzie before and even brought him to Austin for a, a week to, to develop a marketing campaign for us at WordPress Engine. Still, I rarely get to see him. He lives in Japan and, and it's great to see him. And Peldy is a, a good friend and it's great to see him. And I had never met Amy Hoy in person, so that was fantastic. And and eighty and so forth. And so. Um, so that's that is always fun to do. Also, you know, even though I, I, as you could, as you noticed, I spent most of the time just basically doing what I do on the show, right? But in person, just uh-huh. talking to people about their stuff, trying to help them. Um, it's extremely fulfilling to help some, you know, help a founder uh, if there's even just because I'm brainstorming or made them think of something. Not even about telling them what to do. It's just giving them ideas or causing to ask certain questions or just validating, like they were afraid to do this. Is it really okay? Yes, it's really okay. Sometimes that's all you need. Again, therapy, a lot of it's therapy. Right. If I can be that therapist that they, that they trust has their interests at heart and wouldn't tell them the wrong thing. Cause why would I, and has done this before. So 
So that's as good of an opinion as any. Um, and that helps them be confident in something or comfortable with something or feel less guilty about something or move on something or have a new idea about something. That's of course great for them, but it's fulfilling for me to have that effect on somebody else. Um, you know, you sort of asked before kind of like, well, after you get a bunch of money and don't have to work again, which is the position I'm in, what, what would motivate you besides having a deficiency? And, and that's one of the answers. And that's why I still blog and do the podcast as well, because it, that's fulfilling for me. It's fun. It's, it, you, you, some people will call it giving back, but I don't really think of it that way because that sounds altruistic. And it is, I guess, but it's also selfish. I enjoy it. It's obviously an ego trip to be the guy that people's asking for stuff, right? That's a total ego trip. And I like talking about it. I like being that guy. That's nice. But it's also just fulfilling. If I get an email, which I have since MicroConf, of someone saying, you know, at first I just thought this was kind of cool. And now that I've done it, I'm telling you it changed my life. And I cannot believe it. I'm happier than ever before. It turns out that my, you were right. My customers thought this was great. I'm getting more business. because, Like when I hear that stuff, it just even selfishly, it just makes me feel good that that, that yeah. happened. And, and, and so it, is it giving back? I don't know. It's just, it's just one of these cases where um, it's just positive for both sides. <laughs> right? Right, um, right. Whether you want to call so it altruism I, or not. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I, I tend to agree with you on altruism. I think most altruism is kind of ultimately because it makes you feel good. So it's yeah, yeah, selfish yeah. in a way, but it's a it's a kind of a good kind of selfish. Another I thing guess. is it helps me. It makes it keeps me sharp. It keeps me thinking about new problems. If I come up with something new on the spot for someone to do, like a lot of times, maybe we should do that. But I never thought of that because it just I hadn't been prodded in that way, right? So it keeps me fresh with stuff as well. And I hear other people like a lot of times they're already doing something really interesting and creative. I saw a lot of things in Microsoft where I'm like. Wow, that is an awesome homepage, or wow, that's a great product idea, or oh wow, I love the way you presented that thing, or oh, that's a video. Oh my god, you got all that in such a small space, or any number of things where those are really good ideas that I now have <laughs> because I saw those right. things. Right? Like like there's plenty of, of selfish reasons to do it. Yeah. So you, you even even though you're coming to speak and sort of um give your knowledge to other people, you are learning yourself from all the other from the guests and the speakers. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I have one last question um, for you, and that is, how do you balance doing the startup, which, you know, you always hear people talk about how encompassing it is with, you know, blogging and the podcast and the, with the fact that you're uh, a, a father and a husband and you have that right. that's your first priority and, and ultimately you've made enough money that you don't have to do any of this. So there's only a certain amount that you can rationalize to yourself or to your wife that like, I got to go work now because it's important. And, you know, and she's going to look and say, look, and we got, you know, a lot of money in the bank. You don't have to do anything. So how do you, how do you organize that or rationalize that or work that out so that you have a balanced life or do you have a balanced life? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, one thing is, again, I think you have to really set priorities. I had, a, I did a lot of stuff and then before I had a kid and then I shut them down. Um, to have a kid, right? And I, right. that was good. That was good. I like that's the right choice. Um, so it's the same kind of thing. So you just said I didn't do a podcast for a while, right? Because I got a little busy, and um, that's that's going to be one of the things that doesn't happen if I have time. It's I'm I'm not going to sacrifice putting my kid to bed um, to do the podcast. If I can do it all, I will. And and if I can't, the podcast is going to be one of those things that slip. So that's one answer: is you just know what's okay to slip. Um, Another answer is, um, I know that trying to turn myself in, well, I, obviously I work really hard in long hours, um, at WordPress engine, but even so I know that working, trying to get in another 10 hours a week on top of the 60 is 
not especially at this scale of WordPress engine, you know, one person, even me working an extra 10 hours a week out of 20 people and all the stuff we're doing, it really isn't going to make that much of a difference anyway. And right. if we're that overloaded with stuff, then we need to change something like don't do as much stuff or ha- have more people or whatever. Like, there's a, of course, there's a bunch of levers you can pull. But one of the levers is not burn out the CEO. <laughs> right. Like, right. right. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, you know, working 30 hour weeks and on the beach, you know, no. <laughs> right. Like I'm working really right. hard. And, and, and of course, uh, it, it does take that kind of devotion, obviously. But at the same time, um, absolutely destroying everything else in your life, um, especially at scale, actually doesn't help the company. All it does is destroy your life, and so it's the wrong choice always. And uh, So specifically yeah. on the weekends, so first mm-hmm. on the weekends and the evenings, I mean, do you shut down your your uh, notifications and stuff and just say, look, I'm unless it's an emergency, I'm spending, I'm, you know, Saturday and Sunday or for the kids, the wife, wife and kids, or, you know, how do you, or do you just slip away a couple hours here, a couple hours there doing doing stuff for WordPress engine and then the rest of the time you're off the. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm better at it than others. Sometimes I'm able to shut it down for a day. Um, usually it's more like, um, uh, 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 like, uh, my wife will put down Abby for a nap. And as soon as she goes up to put Abby down for the nap, I'll open the laptop and, uh, work until Abby wakes up or if she didn't go to sleep, then until we decided it's long enough. <laughs> so I might right. get like the two and a half hours in on a Saturday and Sunday kind of a thing, um, like that and try to, you know, like you said, only, only sort of jump in on emergencies otherwise. Um, and so that, that's a way to fit in a little bit more time in a way that, that doesn't really detract and, yeah, my wife at that point probably wants to have some quiet time anyway and that kind of stuff. Um, um, and it's, sometimes it's better than others. My wife does cool stuff as well. Like she's in a roller derby. And so <laughs> she, yeah, it's, it's badass. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, you know, she, a lot of times she'll have a practice or, or, or whatever. Um, so say she has a practice at night. So I'll do things like I might leave the office early, like around, uh, you know, three or four, come home, um, shut down the laptop, have all that time to play with my kid and be with my wife. But then my wife is going to go off to practice. I'm going to put down Abby. And once Abby goes down, that's my daughter. Then, um, then I'll open the laptop back up, keep working. You know, my wife might not come cause they go, you know, they go out after and stuff. So she may not come home till late. And so I get another like literally four or five hours of good time. Cause it's like uninterrupted, you know, time, which is actually where you get a lot done. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's another way. So I can also kind of distribute the time over the day and such, such that like, I'm not detracting out of anything. My wife's gone and my kids to bed. So like, I'm not obviously not losing some kind of time in that sense. Um, and I can trade it for time early in the day. So that's the kind of stuff that, um, that I do to make sure I have uh, plenty of family time and still get a lot of work in. And, um, and it varies. Um, again, earlier this year, I was working an incredible amount. I wasn't seeing my family. I, you know, I wasn't getting sleep. Neither was anyone at work at at WordPress Engine because we were we were dying, and then and now we're we're back to good. And I imagine at some point we'll be back to dying again because that's how it goes. Even though we're trying right. to prevent that, but you know you can only do so much. So you know you do what you can do. Another fortunate thing for me is that my wife was herself an entrepreneur for eight years before we, she had a kid. Uh, we had a kid, and um and she was a chef and had her own business, and so um so she totally understands all this stuff and, and did it all the way. Um, herself and and so um so in that sense she understands um um i don't want to say more than other people can it's not like that but but perhaps more so than average right having lived it really lived it herself right yeah i guess uh, this resonates with 
with me because that's very similar to how I do things. Is I'm sort of opportunistic. You know, I have wife and three kids, so you know, it's usually in the morning where the kids are kind of doing their thing. Everybody's kind of waking up, and usually can sneak in an hour, hour and a half, and then you know, it's off to the park or wherever. And then, then you got like the quiet time where everyone's napping, or you know, the young ones are napping, and the older ones are kind of just it's you know doing something quiet. And then you can sneak in an hour or two there, and it's it's like which it, I don't know about you, but I sometimes find that when I know I have like an hour or two tops. I can get a lot done because I it's 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 capped, right? There's no like, well, I got eight hours and you can't messing around. It's like you really get stuff done. Yeah, it helps you focus on stuff. I know someone that says they it's sort of the reverse hiring discrimination. They like to hire people with families because if once you have kids, you know the value of like having a quiet hour <laughs> and you don't waste right. it. You know, um, but um, I think uh, yeah, I mean, time management is important. It's again one of these things. Like Bob Walsh talks about it all the time, and time management is one of those things. Uh, being organized, having task lists, being focused, uh, turning off email and and Twitter, um, or like Paul Graham likes to say, um, the the difference between the maker and the and the uh, manager schedules and and stuff like that. Those types of things. Again, it's sort it's sort of like talking about fulfillment and happiness, where you can, you're like, yeah, whatever. I just gotta get shit done. Like I I can't be bothered with all that that stupid stuff. But the truth is that it. Time is limited. There's always an infinite amount of stuff to do. Whether you have kids or not, your time is still capped by, by the, the, the motion of the earth around the sun and around its axis. And so right. like, like the, those who are good at those techniques and, and devote themselves to optimizing their time in, in that way um, can get two or three or four times as much stuff done as other people. And that makes a huge difference in any company, but especially in, you know, the early days of a startup where there's an infinite amount of stuff to do. And so I firmly believe that even though it's kind of dorky and not, and kind of like, eh, like those things are super important. And I'm now really good at that. And it helps me be effective with time chopped up. So like if I know my time's going to be chopped up in a day, then I'm going to make sure that I have manager schedule stuff, not maker schedule stuff for that day so that it's okay that it's chopped up. Um, if I need to do maker stuff, I'll literally schedule time to do to you know to have the four hours so I can really get into it and, and devote to that. I also know that running a company now having a lot of of employees, I simply can't have much of a maker schedule anyway. And so I, I try to protect that a bit, but I just know that I can. And so I just sort of organize other things and I don't make certain promises or commitments that I know I I, I won't actually be able to fill fulfill with my schedule and design around that. So I mean there's many ways to design around it. But I think those those kind of principles, and of course, it's very personal what kinds of techniques work for you. So, you know, there's lots of stuff out there and you have to sort of find what matches your personality. But but doing that and making yourself efficient and productive at that, um, it's hard to overstate that, even though it's kind of kind of as boring as talking about backups. Make sure you have backups. It's kind of the same thing, but it's vital. Right, right. Well, um, Justin, I was just going to, I think I think we're probably out of time, right? I mean, we're pushing... About two hours here. So, do you have anything you want to ask, or are you good? No, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm uh, got some action points that I'm kind of like eager to go away and start working on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, is that where you went when I when I re- reworked? Think, well, no. I'm I'm thinking. No, no, no. My my mic stopped working. But um, I I have been thinking that the freemium thing is right for Plugio, and I actually haven't been doing it for a couple of years. Um, and I probably should get back to it. So uh, this, this conversation here really helped me make that decision. Well, what I'd say for that is, is to make sure that you're, you know, there's, there's sort of the obvious fundamental metrics of the freemium model, right? There's, there's the cost of user, of free user acquisition. That's super critical because 
you need a lot of free users. Like regardless of what your conversion rate is, it's never very high. Like it's never 50%, right? So, so you have to have lots of them. So, okay. But that means the cost to acquire it is going to be super important because the difference between a dollar and a penny or even 20 cents or 10 cents is going to be massive of, of right? Like a massive difference. So like it's really important exactly what that cost to acquire the customer is and the cost to support that customer in terms of time and servers. All those costs, those kind of things are going to be super important because sort of by definition, you're going to be multiplying that by a, a big number, right? So they're, they're critical that you have your arms around that. And then of course the conversion to paid and you may have different tiers. So you maybe do it by money or I don't know, but you know, one way or another tracking that conversions because you want to be constantly doing things that are trying to tick that conversion rate up. And again, like small changes could make a big effect. I, ideally you have lots and lots of free users. And so even like 10 basis point change in conversion rate could be a real, you know, a, a real lift in revenue. And so again, that's a number you want to have really carefully measured um going into it so that you you can see that you're you know that you're moving that in the right direction and when you take action to try to change it that you can see whether that worked and all that kind of stuff um and also going into it i would really have a like a firm idea of this is when this transition would have to happen between them having to upgrade and hopefully you have metrics now around well what would that mean now like what percentage of the customer base now would have to upgrade if if they were freemium and would they have done it and um that that can be that you know that can be uh, easy or hard. Probably easier for you because it's all web based, so you, you have lots of data about how they're using it, what kinds of stuff are in there, and that and that sort of thing. But um, um, again, though, you kind of want those trip points to be really clear, um, so that there is something. Yeah. And of course, you'll of course you'll iterate over all kinds of ideas about what they could be, and I'm going to change my mind. Like, obviously, you're going to tweak it like mad. So it's not like you're trying to get it right the first time, but at least you want to have something, right? Like some kind of trip wire, so it's clear. Um, um, it's clear what you're what you're trying to do um, going into it in the first place. Um, well, so, cool. so before well, we go, is there anything about WordPress Engine that we didn't ask you? Anything you wanted to announce or or uh, tell us about? No, or I mean I, 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 I don't need it to turn into a, a sales pitch for WordPress Engine. Probably have enough uh, just describing what it is. So right. um, no, I, I, that that's fine. Um, don't don't need to don't need to promo anything. Okay, good. Well, um, well, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. Really appreciate you spending this much time with us, and uh, it's always uh, great to talk with you. So, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's been it's been great. Happy to do it. Really has been very. Thanks for having Sure, you are uh, very welcome. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get you back again. You know, actually, <laughs> I think um, I'd like to get you back on the panel show sometime because um, I thought maybe having you and maybe Heaton Shaw on at the same time would be like a make for a really good um, show because. His idea of testing and what you've said about testing and learning. So I kind of have that in the back burner as something that would be cool to do if we could get it scheduled. That'd be a blast. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.